I'll be reading uh, Psalm 103. It's now to the reading of God's holy word. A Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed, He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, So great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. For He knows our frame, He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. And His righteousness to children's children, to such as keep His covenant, and to those who remember His commandments to do them. The Lord has established His throne in heaven, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you His angels, who excel in strength, who do His word. Heeding the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all you His hosts, you ministers of His, who do His pleasure. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this His holy word. O gracious God and Heavenly Father, we are mindful of our own frailty as creatures. And yet we are so thankful that you are a great and awesome God and that you have revealed yourself to us. And as we consider these various attributes and how you have revealed yourself and how in particular these attributes that we'll consider are those which encourage us and are pleasant as we experiencing them, experience them from your gracious hand. And so we pray, Father, that you would be with us, that you would bless your word to us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Psalm 103 is a psalm of praise and thanksgiving to God for who He is, And for what He has done for us through Jesus Christ. And really throughout the whole psalm it lists a a variety of God's attributes. 
But unlike the attributes that we considered last time, the incommunicable attributes, the ones that are listed in this psalm are those that God actually shares with us. That is, because we're created in the image of God, we can, by His abounding grace, demonstrate many of these same attributes. Though, of course, only God is the one who displays them perfectly and most fully. Now, all God's attributes should certainly make us feel good and and content, as God is certainly all His attributes, meaning that He he can't be separated, uh, you can't separate one of God's attributes from uh, from the other. Yet, as God has revealed His attributes to us, we're experiencing them in, in different ways. That is, different attributes of God can bring out different feelings in, our, in us. And so, for example, the incommunicable attributes that we considered last time can make us stand in awe of God uh, as the one true living God. The attributes that we'll consider, Lord willing, next time will, may cause us to tremble with a, a reverent fear. But the attributes that we'll consider this evening often lead us to feel good. And they're enjoyable when we're experiencing them. Truth, goodness, love, which includes grace and mercy, and of course God's patience toward us. These are all pleasant and enjoyable to us, and they make us feel good, and we, of course, like to feel good. So the first communicable attribute that we want to consider is truth. Truth is that which is real, it's right, and it's reliable. Now, of course, we know that this isn't popular in our postmodern, post-Christian, uh, post-truth age in which we live. Truth has, for many, become relative, varying from one individual to the next, and is often based on feeling and emotion and personal experience rather than facts and logic. And so when we make the true claim that God is the one true living God, and when we say that the only way to that one true living God is through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him, well, people get offended. And they may condemn us as being judgmental and even hateful. But as we know, this response, of course, is what Jesus warned us would come. And so certainly we shouldn't be surprised. But in a twist of irony, of course, irony that God has certainly designed, it only confirms the truth that God, Jesus, the gospel, and the word of God are indeed true. And so when we think of God's attributes of truth, well, there are several facets that we can consider. And all of these are certainly true. And the first is genuineness. So we think about truth being genuine. God is the real deal. Again, He is the one true living God. He's not fake. He's not an imitation. God is real, and He is the one and only original. He is who He is, and all His wonderful glory revealed to us in His Word. In Isaiah 44, the Lord through the prophet says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, The Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people. And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. 
Do not fear nor be afraid. I have not told you from that time and I declared it. You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. Those who make an image, all of them are useless, and their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. Who would form a God or mold an image that profits him nothing? And here the Lord's point is that there are many false gods, there are many uh, imitations and creations uh, formed and fashioned by the minds and the hands of men. But none of these are actually truly God. God is genuine. A second aspect of this uh, attribute of truth is veracity. Because God is truth, well then He speaks the truth. What He does is reality. And what God says is the way things truly are. He's true in His self-revelations. He's true uh, through creation and His Word. And of course, He's true through His revelation in Jesus Christ. And this is how we know that though we can't know God fully, we can know Him truly. Because what He's told us about Himself in His Word is true. Because God Himself is truth. The truth and the inerrancy of the Bible comes not from the faithfulness of those who who wrote the words and who arranged them as we have them. No, the truth and the inerrancy of the Bible is founded upon the God of truth, who spoke truth and who guided the human authors to write that truth. Paul says to Timothy and or, excuse me, Titus in Titus 1, saying that God cannot lie. It's against God's character and nature. He cannot lie. And so there's veracity. What he says is true. Well, then a third facet to God's attribute of truth is faithfulness. Now, faithfulness is being true to your word and, and actually doing or carrying out or fulfilling what you've said you were going to do or what you've committed yourself to do. And here we think of the many promises that God has made to His people in His Word. Well, since God is faithful, well, He will be true to every single one of those promises. He's true in relation to His people and the promise He's made to them. In Lamentations, Jeremiah says, This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not, They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God reminds us every day of His faithfulness and the promises that He has given to provide for us and to give us life and to sustain us. And certainly, um, Paul, in connection with a call to be holy and blameless before the Lord, certainly a task that we cannot achieve on our own, Paul declares in 1 Thessalonians 5 that he who calls you is faithful who also will do it. So Paul there is saying, look, God is not only faithful, not only has He spoken the truth, but He's actually going to do what He says. He's going to be faithful to do what He says. But what are some of the implications of this attribute of truth for God? Well, because God is true, we can be assured that there's certainly no other God and no other name by which we can be saved. 
He alone is the one true living God. There are many idols, there are many false gods that people worship and bow down to, that they call gods, but they're nothing. They're simply the imaginations of men. Our God alone is the true God. And really, if you think about it, there can only be one true God. Otherwise, they wouldn't be anything at all. Because God is truth, we can also trust Him. It means that we can trust the Scriptures and what they reveal to us about who God is, about who we are and how we're to to serve and to obey Him. Again, Isaiah 40, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. God's Word stands forever because God is true and He, He stands forever. And so we can trust the Lord and His Word and we can believe in Him and rest all our hope in Him. He'll not disappoint us. He will never fail us because He's true and faithful. Related to this, we know that God will actually do what He says He'll do because He's true to His Word. He doesn't lie. Indeed, He can't lie. Again, this is especially a a great blessing for for us, for His covenant people. God has made these promises to us. He's signed and sealed those promises with the blood of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. That shows us just how serious God is about His promises. And so we know that He'll be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess our sins to Him. We know that He'll be with us and that He'll never leave us because His Spirit has come and and dwells in us. We know that Jesus will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. And He'll receive us to Himself. We'll be raised up with Him in glory. And we'll stand in His glorious presence where there's fullness of joy forever and ever. These are just some of the, the promises that the Lord has made. Because He's true and faithful. And He will certainly bring them about. But God will also be true and faithful to the promises that He's made to the wicked. He will call them to account. They will appear before His righteous judgment seat. They will be judged for their sins. And He will cast them into the eternal flames of hell where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God will keep every single promise that He has made. And because God is true, He calls His people to be faithful and true. The ninth commandment charges us to not bear false witness against our neighbor. And and Jesus affirms this in the Sermon on the Mount when He challenges His disciples to speak the truth at all times, without wavering, without qualification or doubts. But our yes should be yes and our no should be no. We're to be true and faithful to our word. And the promises that we make and to the vows that we make, whether they're uh, vows made in marriage or uh, church membership vows or vows for offices in the church, we must be true to our word because our God is true. The next attribute that we consider is God's goodness, that He is most good. God's goodness is that perfection of God which prompts Him to deal kindly with all His creatures. 
How God, it's about how God acts toward others and toward the creature, His creatures, and of course toward His creation, His benevolence, or sometimes it's referred to as His common grace, because it's God's general blessing toward all His creatures and toward all creation without distinction. Because God is good, we know that His words and His works are also good and right. Psalm 106 and 107, 118 and 136 all open with the same verse. Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. And the repetition of that that verse reminds us that surely God is good. Remember when Jesus was approached by the rich young ruler and he was seeking to justify himself with his law keeping. He approached Jesus and called him good teacher. And how did Jesus respond? He said, so he said to them, why do you call me good? No one is good, but God alone is good. And so God is truly good. And because of God's abounding goodness... It means that He providentially cares for all His creation and He preserves and cares for all the creatures that He's created. In Psalm 104, as we sang earlier, it speaks of God's provision for His ongoing sustaining of His creation. And He set limits for the seas which they cannot cross. He's provided food and shelter for the birds of the air and for the beasts of the field. He gives life, and at the appointed time, He takes their breath away. God's providential goodness is also demonstrated toward all of mankind as He shines the sun and brings the rain upon the just and the unjust without distinction. So this providential care is an outworking of God's goodness. And because He's good, God especially gives His people good gifts. When we ask Him for bread and fish, He won't give us stones and serpents. He's good and we enjoy the good gifts of life, of family, of parents, of children, and fellowship with His people. All these numerous blessings we can't even begin to count. We know come from the good and gracious hands of our Heavenly Father. And because God is good... We can trust Him in the midst of difficult trials and circumstances. And we can truly believe His promise in Romans 8.28 that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And all things there means exactly that. All things, nothing is excluded or left out. Even what we see as frowning providences of God God is able to work out for good because it's our good that He has in mind. And finally, God's goodness gives us a reason to rejoice and give thanks and a response to His goodness shown to us to freely, that we must then freely and abundantly do good to others, whether it's our neighbor, to our friend, or even doing good to our enemy. And so God is most good. Another attribute that we see here is love. <clears throat> love is a, is a deep affection that's not just a, a surface level feeling of, of butterflies and stars. 
as much of our culture seems to think about love, just passing feelings. But love is an affection that moves us to action. That moves us to demonstrate our affection and our commitment to the one who is the object of our love. And this is the substance of love, as the Apostle Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13. Remember that passage, love suffers long and is kind, love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. And of course, as we read earlier in 1 John, the ultimate example and expression of love is God Himself, because God is love. And we can speak of God's love and how it's expressed in a variety of ways. It can refer to His perfect affection. And again, back to 1 John 4, uh, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this the love of God has manifested toward us. That God has sent His Son, His only begotten Son, into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. If God so loved us, we also ought to, we also ought to love one another. We see here first that, <clears throat> that God is love. It's the very essence of His being, just like all the other attributes, right? And God isn't just love, and we'll look at that, Lord willing, uh, more uh, next week. But God is all of His attributes, but certainly love is, is one of those attributes. Secondly, we see that <clears throat> love comes from God. Right? He's the source of love. He's the fountain of love from which it overflows and is poured out abundantly. And thirdly, we see that love isn't just an emotion, but again, it always leads to action. And the action here is the love of God demonstrated toward us in that He sent Jesus, His Son, to save and redeem us. And then fourthly, as love itself as the source of love, as love demonstrated to us, God's love calls us to love others as He has loved us. And so love is God's affection for us. But in Scripture, there are two important attributes of God that are very closely related to God's love and sometimes are used uh, interchangeably, though there's a slight uh, shade of difference in how they're used. And so God's love is often shown in His amazing grace. That God is most gracious. Grace is God's unmerited, that is His unearned and undeserved love that He pours out upon sinners. Grace Grace is surely God bestowing on us what we clearly do not deserve. It's God's grace poured out upon the undeserving that leads to our salvation. Ephesians 2, Paul says that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so grace is a form, an expression of God's love. <clears throat> well, the other related term that also is a demonstration of God's love is his unfathomable mercy. God is most merciful. Now, mercy is God's love or his compassion toward those who are in misery or who are in distress. It's his pity. And God's mercy often corresponds to his withholding from us what we do truly deserve, which is judgment and condemnation. Again, in Psalm 103, we saw this <clears throat> as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. <clears throat> for he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. <clears throat> so God is most merciful. Well, there's great comfort then to be found in this great affection and this uh, mercy and this uh, grace and love of God. Because the one true living God, the sovereign almighty creator of heaven and earth, loves you through Jesus Christ. And he has so loved you that he has adopted you into his holy family and has called you his beloved child. He showers upon us true, everlasting, never-failing affection in very real and demonstrable ways. There are times that we may struggle with feeling unloved. Friends, in Christ Jesus, the Almighty God loves you. And so never forget that. In Christ we get... <clears throat> Because of God's love and in Christ we get what we don't deserve. Atonement and the forgiveness of sins. Peace and reconciliation with God. We get new life in Christ. We get the presence of the Holy Spirit and the assurance of eternal life in God's glorious presence. But also because of God's love in Christ, we don't get what we do deserve. The full effects of sin's curse which is eternal death, eternal damnation and judgment in the flames of hell, eternal misery, sorrow and grief, and separation for all eternity from all these feel-good attributes of God. And Jesus endured the judgment that we deserved so that God could have mercy on us. Truly because of God's attribute of love, we do have such a great salvation. And then the final attribute that we want to consider this evening, that we see here also in this psalm, is that God is patient with us. He's long-suffering. He doesn't get angry easily. Slow to anger is our God. And I, I think about the patience of God, especially like that term, the older term, long-suffering, because God truly suffers long with us. 
His creatures. Again, the infinite, almighty Creator of heaven and earth suffers long and is most patient with us, the frail, finite, rebellious creatures that He has made in His image. He forbears our weaknesses. That is, He endures them as He patiently works out His good and perfect plan for us as He forms and fashions us into the perfect image of His Son, Jesus Christ. He is truly most patient. Because of His long-suffering, God withholds immediate and just punishment of sin and evil in order to continue offering grace, mercy, and salvation to sinners. And we see this even right in the beginning. Right? After Adam and Eve sinned against God, and though they immediately died spiritually and were separated from the goodness of God's communion and fellowship, God didn't immediately strike them down dead physically. He was patient toward them. And He was patient toward us. And He revealed, even as He was bringing the curse upon Adam and Eve and the serpent, He revealed that first gospel promise. That He would put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise His heel. That was because God was patient with the creature that He had just made and who had rebelled against Him. We see God's unfailing patience toward His rebellious people, Israel, as they repeatedly complained during their 40 years of wandering around the wilderness. And we see it in His patience with this wicked and sinful world and its like-minded inhabitants as He patiently delays His judgment. Why does He do that? Sometimes we wonder, you see all the wickedness going on around us, why is God so patient? Well, it's so that no one whom He has purposed before the foundation of the world to salvation will be lost and left behind. And this is the words of Peter in Second Peter 3, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. All those whom God has appointed before the foundation of the world must come to repentance, and then the judgment will come. Because of God's great patience and long-suffering, we rejoice that He doesn't immediately judge our sin and condemn us forever. Imagine we, we wouldn't get very far in life at all if God immediately struck us down every time we sinned. But He patiently gives us an opportunity to repent of our sin and to believe on Him. Because of God's patience, we know that judgment is never too soon. And we also know, because of His patience, His salvation is never too late. Because God is so abundantly patient with us in our sin, our weakness and our less than mustard seed sized faith, We should then be patient toward Him and toward others. And our patience toward God is shown when we seek Him out in prayer for His wisdom, guidance, and direction in a particular situation. And then just simply trusting that He's heard our prayer and that He will answer it according to His most holy and perfect will. This is what it truly means to wait upon the Lord. It's It's not always easy. But it's always the right thing to do as we look for His guidance. As we seek to serve His will above our own. Now this doesn't mean that our prayers should be one and done. 
Our persistence helps to shape and, and confirm our complete trust and our reliance upon the Lord. That's our patience toward God. But our patience toward others is simply showing forbearance with the faults and weaknesses of others. Being understanding and regularly challenging ourselves to let our love for them cover over a multitude of grievances and sins. Because again, this is exactly what God, through Jesus Christ, has done for us. And so truth, goodness, love, and patience. These are all wonderful attributes of God that stir within us great, a great sense of gratitude and joy. We're sinful. We're broken. We're rebellious creatures. And yet the almighty God of the universe is mindful of us, demonstrating us, uh, uh, demonstrating these glorious attributes to us. And he also calls us to display those same attributes for his glory. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do rejoice and give thanks for how You have revealed Yourself in Your Word. We thank You for Your truth, for Your goodness, for Your love and for Your patience toward us. And Lord, when we experience these attributes, they are encouraging to us. There's such great hope and assurance and joy that we derive from them. Confidence that we have in Your holy character. And so we praise You and thank You that You are such a God, that You are the only God, the one true living God, and that You have called us to be Your beloved children, and that You shower down upon us these attributes and reveal them to us Demonstrate them toward us as an example of how we must then live toward others and for your glory. And so we pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace and the strength to do just that. That we would always speak the truth. That we would always cling to the truth. That we would demonstrate our love even toward those who do wickedly against us. And that You would help us to do good things for others, to serve them. And that You would also help us to be patient with others, even as You have been so patient toward us. We praise You and thank You, O God, that especially You have demonstrated to us these attributes in Your own beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is Christ Himself and His Spirit in us that enables us to fulfill the commands You have given to us. And so we praise You and thank You for that. We ask, Father, that as we go about our usual activities and duties this week, that we would be mindful of these things and that we would always seek to live for Your glory and honor and praise. We pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.